it. All right, Matthew chapter number 2, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's read verse 11 once again. The Bible says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and for your people and for your house, Lord. Thank you for your Son and your Spirit. God, I'd ask that you gain the glory tonight through what takes place. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word, out of your law. God, I would just ask that you'd speak to each heart according to our need. Help us to respond in obedience and submission to your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be led by the Spirit of God, and in doing so to replicate the actions of the Son of God. Lord, help us to be more Christ-like. We'll be sure to thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, tonight I want to preach on what I believe is a little bit different thought uh, than many people uh, deal with concerning this passage. And we hear a lot about the actions of the wise men, and I think that's valid and important. We're going to look at those some tonight. And uh, we hear sermons preached. I've preached them before about wise men still seek him, and why were the wise men wise? But I want us tonight to take a moment and to place ourselves in the shoes of these wise men. Now, the Bible is remarkably silent about the wise men. Uh, the term that's used here, wise men, is uh, used in other contexts in the idea of magi. Uh, they were men that were scribes, that were students. Uh, they were men that had studied the Word of God. That's evident by the fact that the Bible says that they saw his star in the east. I don't know if you've ever wondered what that made reference to, but in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, uh, the Bible says in this prophecy concerning our Lord, it says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him... But not nine. Now, this is what the wise men did. They saw uh, him, but they didn't see him right then. They saw the prophecies concerning the Son of God. And it says they should behold him, but not nine. Uh, so whenever they, they saw him, he wasn't 
Uh, it wasn't now, and when they beheld him, it wasn't near. It says, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. Uh, they had obviously been students of the Word of God. And these men had been studying for many years concerning the Messiah and seeking after him. And the Bible says that this star appeared and they discerned the meaning of this star and they began to follow it. The scene that we have laid before us is not a manger scene. But rather, uh, probably a couple years later, as they settled into home life, so to speak, and uh, they come and the young child, which would probably be around a toddler's age, is the one which they are beholding. Now, keep in mind that the Bible says that these are men from the east. Uh, we do not know exactly how far east that is. There's a lot of uh, secular history that implies some things. And uh, sometimes you've got to take that with a grain of salt. Sometimes you've got to take it with a whole salt shaker. But suffice it to say that if it took them this long, and by the way, I do believe it took them a matter of at least a couple of years to get there. You say, why is that? Because of what Herod asked them. Herod asked them when the star had appeared, what time the star appeared. Uh, I think Herod was trying to discern how long uh, that the star had been in existence because I believe these men related to him that they had been traveling for a very long time. And so uh, through many countless miles and winding pathways, they make their way to Herod's palace. Now, why do you reckon they went to Herod's palace? Well, let me give you a very simple reason that I believe, uh, because that's where they expected a king to be. When you look for a king, you don't look for him in a manger. You look for him in a palace. And so they come to Herod's palace, and uh, in an innocent manner, it seems, they come and they say, we're looking for him that is born king of the Jews. Well, that interested Herod, because he's king of the Jews. He does not have an heir that has been born recently. And so he says, uh, what time did this star appear? What are you talking about? He sends for his scribes and says, I want you to find out everything that you can about uh, this young man. He tells the wise men to go and to find him and to bring back word. And so off they go. Now, let's put ourselves in, in their shoes. I believe I'd start getting nervous when I looked in the palace and didn't find him in the palace. Wouldn't you? Here you've traveled these many, many uh, months and even years. Here you've spent all this vast amount of money in your travels. You're weary. You're ready for the trip to be over. Uh, you're beginning to be worn down by this endeavor. And you finally get to the place that you believe is your destination. And lo and behold, you find out that God isn't there. The journey takes them a little further. The Bible says in uh, verse number 8, And He sent them to Bethlehem. And said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Look what it says in verse 10, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They see the star, it ceases to move. It's come to rest upon a place. They have their bearings. They have their destination. They begin to rejoice. But we find that verse number 11 takes a starkly different turn than we're expecting. Imagine as you're the wise men, and you with, uh, with unbated uh, jubilance and expectation and anticipation, you round the corner, you're looking for the large precipices and towers of this palace, you're looking for the grandeur that you're expecting, you come around the corner only to see a carpenter's house. Could I say to you tonight 
that many times the Christmas season is a season that's full of disappointment. It said before, and I was talking to my brother the other day, and uh, he works down at a hospital in town, and I already knew this, but it's different to hear someone you know say this. He began to recount stories to me of, of suicide victims and how that the suicide rate gets so much higher during the Christmas season. And there's a lot of people that are hurting this Christmas. A lot of people that are having a difficult time. And let me say, there's a lot of people coming into this Christmas season that were following a star. And it's led them to a shack. They were expecting some things. They were looking for some encouragement. And things have not turned out exactly like they have anticipated. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been trying to find the will of God. And you're surprised at where it's led you. Can I say, sometimes the will of God will surprise you about where it leads you. Sometimes you'll wind up some places you did not anticipate. Sometimes the journey will be longer than you expected. Sometimes the destination will be different than you expected. And here's the thought I want to give you tonight. What does a wise person do in those circumstances? There's probably not a person in this room that is not, to some degree or another, dealt with disappointment, dealt with confusion concerning the will of God. How do we react in such a situation. Well, I want to give you three things tonight. I'm going to try to be brief about what these wise men did. And it blessed my heart when I saw this, and I hope that it'll help you. Let me say that the first thing that a wise person does when they come upon a situation of vast disappointment or a vast confusion is let me say that a wise man recognizes God in the shacks of his life. Look at what it says in verse number 11. And when they were come into the house... Now, that right there is a dynamic phrase. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. If it was me, I probably wouldn't have been coming into the house. I probably would have got in the flesh. I probably would have got upset. I would have probably said, God, this is not what I was anticipating. This is not what I was expecting. And let me ask you this. You may have not verbalized it, but have you ever thought within your heart, Lord, I didn't sign on for this. Can't you imagine that's how they felt? And yet still into the house they went. They still followed the will of God regardless of their hesitations and their concerns about it. I want you to notice three things that they did. Notice first off their attention. This blesses me. Uh, it says, and when they were coming into the house, they saw who? It doesn't say when they were coming into the house, they saw Joseph. I'm sure Joseph was there. It does not say when they came into the house that they saw Mary, his mother. We'll relate that in a moment, but that's not the first person. I want you to notice who they were looking for when they came into the shack. I mean, I want you to notice who the first person they were trying to find was when they came into this situation. It says they saw the young child. That's who they were looking for. Can I say to you that regardless of your situation in life, you ought to look for God in it. Amen? I mean, you ought to look for God. God's either in there with you or He's in there to get you out of it, one of the two. Why do we have these times in our life, these shacks that we face? Let me give you three things just very quickly. I would say that sometimes we face these disappointments because of correction. Don't you believe that? The Bible says that whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. There's going to be times in your life that things aren't going to work out because there's something in your life that needs to be worked out of your life. But I would say they come not only because of correction, but sometimes they come because of instruction. God's teaching us some things. There's some things we can only learn the hard way. Amen? You can learn things by example, but it won't be as dear to you as the things you've learned by experience. 
And sometimes God is teaching us some things. But I would say that sometimes God leads us into these situations for perfection. Because He's molding us. He's chipping away things in our life that are unnecessary. I'll share with you the famous adage. I'm sure you've heard it many times. But a man asked Michelangelo one time how he sculpted so many beautiful things. And asked him, said, take David, for instance, your, your famous uh, sculpture of David. How did you uh, sculpt that? How did you take that hunk of stone that was, uh, that was uh, immaterial, that, that, was, that was useless and irrelevant? I mean, it's just a hunk of stone like any other. How did you make it something remarkable? Michelangelo smiled and he said, well, I just start taking stone away, and I take away everything that's not David. Think about that for a moment. I take away everything that's not David. You know Christ is doing that in your life and mine concerning Him? Christ is trying to take away everything that's not Christ in our lives. Now you say, I don't like things to be taken away from me. Well, no, uh, usually we don't, but there's things we need took away from us. Sometimes God is doing this. How do we respond to that? The first thing they did is they said, despite my apprehensions, I'm going to try to find God in this. God is showing me something. God is teaching me something. I've come all this way. I'm not going to turn back now. I've come to the door of this house, and I'm going to go in and find God in this situation. You may be going through some heartache. It would be typical of the Christmas season. Could I say to you that you ought to try to find God in the midst of that heartache? Because He's there. He's there. Maybe you're going through some financial struggles in your life. You wouldn't be the only one. You wouldn't be the first. And, and I've, got, I've got a good feeling in this country, at least, you ain't going to be the last. Can I say you can still find God in that situation? The first thing we should do is look for God. Look for the will of God. Look for the work of God. Look for the Word of God. Whatever it is in our life, we ought to seek the presence of God. Notice their attention. Don't you notice also their attitude? Now, again, if it was me, I would have been pretty sore by this time. Amen? I mean, can I be human? Can your pastor be human with you? I don't pastor one of those churches with plastic people with no problems, so don't look for a, for a plastic preacher that ain't got no problems. I, I'm telling you what my attitude would have been. If I'd come through that door, I, I mean, I would have been upset. What did they do? Notice what it says in our text. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down. They took their proper place in the presence of God. You know what will help you when you find God in your situation? It will help you to kneel before Him. To recognize that He's God and we're not. The first thing they did is they saw Him, and when they saw Him, they said, Oh, yes, it may not look like what we expected, but this is the very God of all creation. And they fell down. That was an act of submission. They were willing, even in the midst of that dirty shack, to fall down before the face of God. They were willing to admit that they're not God. We have to get to that place in our life. You know, a lot of times that's what God is doing, leading us into those shacks. He's trying to show us that He is in control. And if we'll just let Him be in control, He'll take care of things. Notice their attitude, but notice their action. They worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. They came to worship Him, so that's exactly what they did. There's a lot of people, listen carefully, and I, I see this in ministry, and I, I know that in this room there's not a vast amount of people in, in full-time ministry. But let me say that there is a difference between worshipping a principle and worshipping a person. There is a difference, and I, I see preachers sometimes that surrendered to the ministry, listen carefully, but they never surrendered to the Lord. 
I've seen missionaries that surrendered to the ministry, but never surrendered to the Lord. And let me say, I've seen Christians that have surrendered their life in certain areas, but they've still not surrendered to the Lord. You say, what is the significance of that preacher? Well, let me tell you the story about these preachers and missionaries and even Christians. When things turn out like they don't expect in those avenues of life, they quit and give up. You know why they weren't surrendered to the Lord in the first place? They were surrendered to these ideals and these things that they wanted out of their life. When it didn't turn out that way, they crumbled underneath it. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is these wise men, they didn't come and the reason they came was not for a palace. They expected a palace, but they weren't coming for a palace. They were coming for a person. And so it was immaterial what their situation was because they found the one they'd been looking for. They worshipped Him. He was their priority. What is your priority in life? He was the reason that they had come all that way. Why are you serving God? Are you serving God because it's expected of you? You won't serve Him very long. What you'll do is you'll find a group of people that expect less out of you. That's why a lot of people, let let me just be honest, uh, and I'm not saying that we are the most devoted church in the world, I'm not saying we're the most undevoted church in the world, but but there's been people leave this church because they wanted to go to a place with less accountability. They didn't like what people expected of them here, so they went to a place where people expected less of them. And you know what happened? They, They got dissatisfied there, so they went to a place where something was less was expected of them, and something less, and something less, and something less, to the point that they just stay at the house because ain't nothing expected of them there. You say, what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say this. If you're serving God because of what people expect, you won't serve God very long. If you're serving God because of the uh, material benefits, and let me say this, I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'm too unhealthy and I'm too poor to be a health and wealth preacher. Uh, I don't have nice enough clothes, amen? Uh, But uh, they're picking at me about not having a sweater the first year we did a a Christmas car. I said I hadn't got my raise yet. (laughs) I can't afford a sweater back then. But let me tell you something, there are material blessings to serving God. I got more than I deserve. I got more than I need. God's blessed me. But if you're serving God because of how He'll bless you materially, you're not going to be serving God very long. The, the brook's going to dry up at certain points in your life. What I'm saying is though they expected a palace, they didn't come for a palace. They came for a person. And so in their situation, what did they do? They, they fell down, they worshipped, and they still gave God the honor that was due. How do you react to the disappointments that take place in your life? How do you react to the heartache? How do you react to the struggle? Do you do it by bawling your fists and shaking them at God and saying, God, I didn't sign on for this? I kind of think God's answer would be, you ought to sign on for me. Not for anything else. Whatever else you've lost, you've still got Jesus Christ. If you've ever had Him, you've still got Him. And that's what it's about. Let me say that wise men recognize God in the shacks of life. But I would say, too, that wise men render gifts to God in the shacks of life. Look what happens. The Bible says they fell down and worshipped Him. And when they had opened their treasures... Now, again, this is interesting. No no, uh, resentment is sensed in this verse. There's no doubt they were disappointed. This is not what they were expecting. They had brought gold. They had brought frankincense and myrrh. They, They had brought costly gifts. They, they were not expecting this experience. But there's no resentment. They don't say, well, I'll pack up my gifts and I'll go home because this isn't what I expected. No, instead they recognize 
that they didn't owe they didn't owe these things to their situation. They owed them to their Savior. Listen to what I just said now. What they gave, they didn't owe to their situation. They owed to their Savior. If God never did a, another thing for you in your entire life, you'd still owe Him more than you could ever give Him. We don't serve God because He does things for us. We serve God because of what He has done for us. We serve Him because of who He is. We don't serve Him. Hey, do you know that Abraham learned this gift? <laughs> he learned this truth. Uh, there's a point in Abraham's life when God's blessing him and blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. And then finally Abraham makes the declaration where he says, The Lord is my portion. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I've learned that it's not about the gifts, it's about the giver. It's about the person. He's who it's all about. So what do they do? They open their treasures and they begin to give their gifts out. Now, I'm going to give just a very simple analogy of these three gifts. I would say that first off, they gave a precious gift. I, and and I, I'm going to try to be careful because I feel, like I, I feel like I borderline harp on this sometimes. But I believe there's such a misconstrued notion of New Testament giving today that, I, that, I, that it, it, I feel like it compels me to deal with it a lot because I don't want it to hinder our spiritual walk. And by the way, what you give to God can hinder your spiritual walk or it can help it. I mean, it makes a difference. God's interested in what we're willing to give to Him. You say, you're telling me He needs all that money? No, He don't need all that money. He needs you. He knows how much we love our money. Uh, I believe that we're not really giving until it's costing us something. That's when we're giving. Uh, when it's just still comfortable, it's not faith. We've got to step outside that realm. And again, keep in mind, God's not interested in the money. God wants something that's precious to us. To show that we trust Him. That we're willing to give it to Him. Let me say that it's not just in the realm of financial things. But I would say in the realm of time. There's a lot of us that's willing to tithe on our, on our money, but we're not willing to tithe on our time. Right? I mean, isn't that true? Don't you find that to be true? We're willing to give God money because we can, we can write a check and it don't take but a minute, but time is something that's precious to us. And there's very many of us that we've got enough money for God, we just don't have enough time for Him. I believe God's interested in having our time, don't you? Now, that's the most precious thing He can give us. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. I believe we ought to be willing to give God time in our life. Not just in the sense of devotion, but in the sense of service, in the sense of worship. I believe we ought to invest ourselves in Jesus Christ. I believe we ought to give ourselves to Him. We ought to be willing, even when things are tough, that don't mean you quit giving. That don't mean you back off of serving God. You ought to still, you say, preacher, it's tough sometimes. Yeah, Calvary was tough. Calvary was tough. He'll never repay what He did for you. And there's nothing. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say. If you can grasp this, and I don't just mean in an academic sense, if you'll let it hit the back of your throat and, and sink down into your heart, it will change your life. There's nothing, nothing that Christ could ask of you that's too much. And there's nothing that you could give Him that would repay Him. That will change the way that your life operates. If you can grasp that. That'll change the way you listen to preaching. That'll change the way you read your Bible. That'll change the way you pray. 
That'll change the way that you operate day to day. If you can understand that there is nothing that God could ask of me that is too much for Him to ask. If He asked for 90% of my paycheck and just let me keep 10, it wouldn't be too much. I owe it to Him. It's all His. If He Listen, if he, if he asked for the majority of my week and then only gave me four or five hours of my own, rather than it being the opposite of that, it seems, then it still would not be too much for Jesus Christ to ask of me. And He does ask for these things. By the same token, if I gave Him everything, <laughs> I would have still just given Him a poor lost sinner that He had to redeem. There's nothing I could give him that would be too much. They gave him a precious gift, but I would notice, secondly, that they gave him a priestly gift. Gold is precious. Frankincense is priestly. It was incense that would have been burned uh, by the priests in the Old Testament. We spend a lot of time talking about the compounds of it and the significance of the, of the, the, uh, the ingredients. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm just going to say this, uh, that I believe even in difficult times, we still ought to pray. We still ought to pray. We still ought to spend time with God. You say, preacher, I don't like what you're saying because you don't know what I'm going through. I, I know I don't. I know I don't. But Christ does. God does. I, and you're right. I, I, I may have no right to say these things to you. Uh, that's why I'm trying not to say anything that's just my opinion. I'm trying to preach the Word of God to you. Because whether we like it or not, whether we identify with it or not, whether we feel like it is the right of another man to say it to us or not. It's still true that even in the most difficult and toughest times in our life, that's not the time to forsake prayer. That's the time to cling to prayer. That's the time to determine that nothing is going to move me from my relationship with Jesus Christ. They gave him a priestly gift, but I would say they gave him a proper gift. You say, what do you mean, preacher? They gave him myrrh. Myrrh was essentially an embalming uh, element. At that time, they did not in, embalm, in the, but they would wrap and they would anoint with spices the body. It was a funeral thing. And this, of course, is prophetic of the purpose of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I would say to you that this was a gift that was equated with death. And I would say that even in the most difficult times of life, we have to learn how to die to self. We've got to learn how to be willing to crucify ourselves and live only for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it's easy. And I find in life that typically we all fall into one of two categories. There's fair-weather Christians and there's foul-weather Christians. And you'll find some people in life that when everything is going fabulous, they serve God. Those are fair-weather Christians. When things grow tough, they give up. They throw in the towel. They don't want the foul weather and they don't find God in it. By the same token, I've seen others that are foul-weather Christians. When things are going good, and, I, and there's one person in my mind in particular that had, had been uh, without a job for many, many moons, and, and he had grown close to Christ and grown close to God. It was a man that used to go here at one time. And, and there came a time in his life when God blessed him with a job. And very soon after that, he was gone. Gone. You say, preacher, why do you say it? Because there's some people in this life that when, when they need God, they want to treat Him like a spare tire. You know, they want to carry Him around in the trunk, and then when they get a flat, they want to uh, whip Him out to help them. But then when things grow easy and comfortable again, they don't need God again. They stick Him back in the trunk. Let me tell you something. If we're ever going to live for Jesus Christ in a way that's going to count for something in this world and in the world to come, 
we're going to have to be willing to be consistent in our Christian walk. We're going to have to be willing to follow God regardless of where it takes us, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny, whether it's uh, sleeting, whether it's snowing, whether it's hailing, uh, whether fire and brimstone is hailing from the sky. We need to be willing to say, Christ, I'm willing to follow you regardless of the situation. They were willing to die to self. I'm sure it was difficult, that journey. You know, but it was worth it. I'm sure that journey was difficult, but it was worth it. I'm sure they had to die to self. I'm sure there's many times that their flesh said, why don't you just turn back and go home? It's a foolish endeavor. But the flesh is always a liar. Always a liar. We have to learn to crucify our flesh, ignore our flesh, and say the natural man will not reign and rule in my life. We see that wise men recognize God in the shacks of life. They render gifts in the shacks of life, and I hope this encourages you tonight. I would say that they receive grace in the shacks of life. Who would have thought that they would have got nothing but lip service and a lie when they went into Herod's palace? But then when they enter into the humble abode of the Son of God, they receive a special gift that changes their life. Look what it says in our text. It says, they fell down and worshipped Him. I would say that first off, that they received present grace in the sense of salvation. You can believe what you wish about this, but I believe that, that they came to know the Savior at that moment. You don't have to believe that. We could argue about it if you want. But there's no question in a, in a strictly historical sense that they had not known Him and they came to know Him. And I think if nothing else, it is picturesque of you and I being willing to trust God and find God. Do you know that everybody, listen carefully, everybody that finds God finds Him in a shack of life. Everybody that gets saved, you don't get saved except you need something and know you need something. That's where people find God. They don't find Him on the mountaintop because they're not, they're not conscious of their need of Him on the mountaintop. No, we find God when we're in need of Him. But I would say they not only had present grace, but they had perpetual, or we might say provisional grace. The Bible says in verse number 12, And being warned of God in a dream, that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. You know, God, and I don't know how else to say it, God watched out for them. That may seem irreverent or or base, but, but that's what happened. God met their needs. They did not find what they were looking for in the sense of a palace, but they weren't looking for a palace. They were looking for the Son of God. They didn't find what they expected, but they found what they needed. And God carried them through on their journey. I would assume, and maybe this is a little bit of sanctified imagination, but the kind of man that has the wherewithal to take a chest of gold and carry it and go upon this trip probably had a palace of his own. God saw them through that shack, out of that shack, and on their journey again. Whatever your discouragement that you're facing, could I say to you that today is not the end of it. Uh, it? It might be in the sense that the Son of God comes back. Boy, wouldn't that be a blessing. But if God tarries, there will be another day. If God tarries, if, if Christ tarries His coming, there will be another day. Whatever you're facing right now, you will get through it. I, you know, I, I, and maybe I'm being a, a bit of a, a Scrooge when I say this, but... But I, probably one of my favorite times of Christmas is when it's over. Amen. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's, there, there's, I enjoy it to a degree, but isn't it a relief when the tree comes down, when the decorations go down, when the wrapping paper is thrown away? Isn't there a relief about that? 
And you may be going through a difficult time this Christmas season. Could I say, you, this too shall pass. You will go through it. And could I say that the same grace that has sustained you in the palaces will sustain you in the shacks. The same grace that has sustained you as you've been seeking God's will will sustain you as you journey on through God's will. God's there, friend. I mean, I don't think it can be said enough. God's there. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. I know we feel forsaken sometimes. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to put on airs tonight. I'm just being honest. I know we feel forsaken sometimes. Our flesh makes us feel forsaken. But the Spirit of God always dwells within us. And in a particular way, the Son of God is always present with us. We need to learn how to just trust God in these times. It's not easy. No one ever said it was easy. Anybody that told you it was easy lied to you. It's not easy. It's not easy to trust God. It goes against everything we are and everything we want to do. But it's still right. Faith is still the means of our relationship with God. Faith is not just the means of salvation. Faith is the means of fellowship. Faith is not just the means through which we access God. Faith is the means through which we enjoy God with which we interact with God. It didn't just start with faith. It's all faith. And you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. By the way, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by feeling. Feelings are a good thing that can betray us. Feelings are not a bad thing, but they can betray us. They can betray us. The Word of God never betrays us. The Spirit of God never betrays us. The Son of God never betrays us. And the same promises that you had before you entered into this shack are the same promises you have in the midst of it. And you say, what do I do about that? The Bible says that God hath given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be made partakers of the divine nature. These promises have to be believed and trusted And we have to behave according to these promises. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, don't give up on God. I mean, don't diminish your relationship with Him just because of the difficulties that you're going through. Instead, cling to Him more fiercely. And you'll find that God will move in your life in a 